Chapter forty six of Fenton's Quest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Fenton's Quest by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter forty six. Ellen regains her liberty. Stephen Whitelaw lingered for two days and two nights, and at the expiration of that time departed this life, making a very decent end of it, and troubled by no thought that his existence had been an unworthy one. Before he died he told his wife something of how he had been tempted into the doing of that foul deed, whereof Marian Saltram had been the victim. Those two were alone together the day before he died, when Stephen, of his own free will, made the following statement. "'It was Mrs. Holbrook's father, you see,' he said, in a plausible tone, "'that put it to me, how he might want his daughter taken care of for a time. It might be a short time, or it might be rather a longish time, according to how circumstances should work out. We'd met once before at King's Arm at Malsham, where Mr. Noel was staying, and where I went in of an evening, once in a way, after market, and he'd made pretty free with me, and asked me a good many questions about myself, and told me a good bit about himself in a friendly way. He told me how his daughter had gone against him, and was likely to go against him, and how some property that ought in common justice to have been left to him, had been left to her. He was going to give her a fair chance, he said, if she liked to leave her husband, who was a scheming scoundrel, and obey him. She might have a happy home with him, if she was reasonable. If not, he should use his authority as a father. He came to see me at Wincombe the next day, dropped in unawares-like, when Mother Tadman was out of the way. Not that I had asked him, you see. He seemed to be quite taken with the place, and made me show him all over the house. Then he took a glass of something, and sat down and talked a bit, and went away, without having said a word about his daughter. But before he went he made me a promise that I'd go see him at the King's Arms that night. Well, you see, now, as he seemed to have taken a fancy to me, as you may say, had told me he could put me up to making more of my money, and had altogether been uncommonly pleasant. I didn't dare say no, and I went. I was rather taken aback at the King's arm when they showed me to a private room, because I'd met Mr. Noel before in the commercial. However, there he was, sitting in front of a blazing fire, with a couple of decanters of wine upon the table. He was very civil couldn't have been more friendly, and we talked and talked. He was always harping on his daughter, till at last he came out with what he wanted. Would I give her a house-room for a bit, just to keep her out of the way of her husband and such like designing people, supposing she should turn obstinate and refuse to go abroad with him? "'You have a rare old roomy place,' he said. "'I saw some rooms upstairs at the end of that long passage which don't seem to have been used for years.' You might keep my lady in one of those, and that fine husband of hers would be as puzzled where to find her as if she was in the center of Africa. It would be a very easy thing to do, he said, and it would be only friendly in you to do it. Oh, Stephen, cried his wife reproachfully, how could you ever consent to such a wicked thing? I don't know about the wickedness of it, Mr. Whitelaw responded, with a rather sullen air. A daughter is bound to obey her father, isn't she? and if she don't, I should think he had the power to do what he liked with her. That's how I should look at it, if I was a father. It's all very well to talk, you see, Nell, but you don't know the arguments such a man as that can bring to bear. I didn't want to do it. I was against it from the first. 
it was a dangerous business and might bring me into trouble but that man bore down upon me to that extent that he had made me promise anything and when i went home that night it was with the understanding that i was to fit up a room there was a double door to be put up to shut out sound and a deal more ready for mrs holbrook in case her father wanted to get her out of the way for a bit he promised to pay you of course ellen said not quite able to conceal the contempt and aversion which this confession of her husband's inspired well yes a man doesn't put himself in jeopardy like that for nothing he was to give me a certain sum of money down the first night that mrs holbrook slept in my house and another sum of money before he went to america and an annual sum for continuing to take care of her if he wanted to keep her quiet permanently as he might altogether it would have been a very profitable business he told me and i ought to consider myself uncommonly lucky to get such a chance as to the kindness or unkindness of the matter it was better than shutting her up in a lunatic asylum he said and he might have to do that if i refused to take her she was very weak in her head he said and the doctors would throw no difficulty in his way if he wanted to put her into a madhouse but you must have known that it was a lie exclaimed ellen indignantly you had seen and talked to her you must have known that mrs holbrook was as sane as you or i i couldn't be supposed to know better than her own father answered mr whitelaw in an injured tone he had a right to know best however it's no use arguing about it now he had such a power over me that i couldn't go against him so i gave in and mrs holbrook came to wincombe she was to be treated kindly and made comfortable her father said and that was agreed between us and she has been treated kindly and made comfortable i had to trust someone to wait upon her and when mr knoll saw the two girls he chose sarah batts that girl will do anything for money he said she's stupid but she's wise enough to know her own interest and she'll hold her tongue so i trusted sarah batts and i had to pay her pretty stiffly to keep the secret but she was a rare one to do the work and she went about it as quiet as a mouse not even mother tadman ever suspected her it was a wicked piece of business wicked from first to last said ellen i can't bear to hear about it and then remembering that the sinner was so near his end and that this voluntary confession of his was in some manner a sign of repentance she felt some compunction and spoke to him in a softer tone still i'm grateful to you for telling me the truth at last stephen she said and thank god there's no harm done that need last for ever thank god that dear young lady did not lose her life shut up a prisoner in that miserable room as she might have done she had her vittles regular observed mr whitelaw and the best eating and drinking won't keep anyone alive if their heart's breaking said ellen but thank heaven her sufferings have come to an end now and i trust god will give your share in them stephen and then sitting by his bedside through the long hours of that night she tried in very simple words to awaken him to a sense of his condition it was not an easy business to let any glimmer of spiritual light upon the darkness of that sordid mind there did arise perhaps in this last extremity some dim sense of remorse in the breast of mr whitelaw some vague consciousness that in one act of his life and in the whole tenor of his life he had not exactly shaped his conduct according to that model which the parson had held up for his imitation in certain rather prosy sermons indifferently heard on the rare occasions of his attendance at the parish church 
but the terrors the world might come to hold for him seemed very faint and shapeless compared with the things from which he was to be taken he thought of his untimely death as a hardship an injustice almost when his wife entreated him to see the vicar of crosber before he died he refused at first asking what good the vicar's talk could do him if he could keep me alive as long as till next july to see how those turnips answer with the new dressing i'd see him fast enough he said peevishly but he can't and i don't want to hear his preaching but it would be a comfort for you surely stephen to have him talk to you a little about the goodness and mercy of god he won't tell you hard things i'm sure of that no i suppose he'll try and make believe that death's uncommon pleasant answered mr whitelaw with a bitter laugh as if it could be pleasant to any man to leave such a place as Wyncombe, after doing as much for the land and spending as much labor and money upon it as I have done. It's like nurses telling children that a dose of physic's pleasant. They wouldn't like to have to take it themselves. And then, by and by, when his last day had dawned, and he felt himself growing weaker, Mr. Whitelaw expressed himself willing to comply with his wife's request. "'If it's any satisfaction to you, Nell,' i'll see the parson he said his talk can't do me much harm anyhow whereupon the rector of crosber and hallibury was sent for and came swiftly to perform his duty to the dying man he was closeted with mr whitelaw for some time and did his best to awaken christian feelings in the farmer's breast but it was doubtful if his pious effects resulted in much the soul of stephen whitelaw was in his barns and granaries with his pigs and cattle he could not so much as conceive the idea of a world in which there should be no such thing as sale and profit his end came quietly enough at last and ellen was free her time of bondage had been very brief yet she felt herself twenty years older than she had seemed before that interval of misery began when the will was read by mr pivot on the day of stephen whitelaw's funeral it was found that the farmer had left his wife two hundred a year derivable from real estate mrs rebecca tadman his cousin he bequeathed an annuity of forty pounds the said annuity to revert to ellen upon mrs tadman's death should ellen survive the remaining portion of his real estate he bequeathed to one john james harris a distant cousin who owned a farm in wiltshire with whom stephen whitelaw had spent some years of his boyhood and from whom he had learned the science of agriculture it was less from any love the testator bore john james harris than from a morbid jealousy of his probable successor frank randall that the wiltshire farmer had been named as residuary legatee if stephen whitelaw could have left his estate to the infirmary he would have so left it his personal estate consisting of divers investments in railway shares and other kinds of stock all of a very safe kind was to be realized and the entire proceeds devoted to the erection of an additional wing for the extension of malsham infirmary and his gift was to be recorded on a stone tablet in a conspicuous position on the front of that building this which was an absolute condition attached to the bequest had been set forth with great minuteness by the lawyer at the special desire of his client mr carley's expression of opinion after hearing this will read needed not be recorded here it was forcible to say the least of it and mr pivot the malsham solicitor protested against such language as an outrage upon the finer feelings of our nature some degree of disappointment is perhaps excusable upon your part my dear sir said the lawyer who wished to keep the widow for his client and had therefore no desire to offend her father 
but i am sure that in your calmer moments you will admit that the work to which your son-in-law has devoted the bulk of his accumulations is a noble one for ages to come the sick and suffering among our townsfolk will bless the name of whitelaw there's a touching reflection for you mr carley and really now your amiable daughter with an income of two hundred per annum to say nothing of that revision which must fall into her by and by on mrs tadman's decease is left in a very fair position i should not have consented to draw up that will sir if i had considered it an unjust one then there's a wide difference between your notion of justice and mine growled the bailiff who thereupon relapsed into grim silence feeling that complaint was useless he could no more alter the conditions of mr whitelaw's will than he could bring mr whitelaw back to life and that last operation was one which he was by no means eager to perform ellen felt herself no disappointment she fancied indeed that her husband whom she had never deceived by any pretence of affection had behaved with sufficient generosity towards her two hundred a year seemed a large income to her it would give her perfect independence and the power to help others if need were end of chapter forty six recording by kirk ziegler ogden utah voiceovers by kirk dot com